Friends, as we prepare to hear God's word proclaimed, let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, so that in hearing, we may also learn to obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter. I'll begin reading at the 31st verse. This text is a familiar depiction of Christ's second coming and universal reign, and it is therefore appropriate for this Sunday, which is Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of our liturgical year. Hear the word of God. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord... When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. So a moment ago, I called this scripture familiar. Notice I did not call it beloved. I did not call it easy. For many of us, this is a very unsettling part of Matthew's gospel. So if you've been drifting in a sleepy post-Thanksgiving haze, wake up. Good morning. Here we are with this scripture, with this word of the Lord. The thing about this text is its harshness. 
It sounds like in the eternal reign of Christ, there will be no gray areas. It's black or white, sheep or goat, eternal punishment or eternal life. Judgment is central and boy is it stark. Moreover, that judgment seems to be based exclusively on good or bad behavior. It's based on works or good deeds. And that is very troubling for us because week after week, as we worship and study and pray, we depend on the principle that salvation comes by the grace of God when we have the faith to receive it. It's salvation by grace through faith. But Jesus is not saying that here. There's barely a mention of grace or faith at all. Sure, Jesus calls the righteous sheep blessed, and he says that their eternal reward has long been prepared by the Father. That sounds pretty gracious, so long as you're a sheep. <laughs> but what separates the sheep from the goats is still their behavior and not their faith. The sheep did not understand themselves to be serving Christ when they served other people. Just like the goats, they ask, when was that? When was it, Lord, that we saw you hungry and did anything at all? You see, the righteous ones are not set apart because they knew Christ, because they recognized Christ. It was their service that mattered, not their faith. What do you make of this? How do we as wannabe sheep contextualize this teaching within God's larger story? You know the one, that wonderful story in which even the most unworthy are redeemed. What do we make of this? It certainly helps to slow down, I think, and to remember who this Jesus is. The one who sits on the throne to judge is the same one who hung on the cross to die. This is Jesus we're talking about, who gave his life for the sinners he called friends. And we must remember that and rest in that and then reapproach this whole sheep and goats thing. It is not meant to terrify us but to inspire us for the living of these days. Now, I'm not much of a social media user, but for the past few years, I have followed the Pope on Instagram. <laughs> I saw a newspaper article that Pope Francis had created an account, and I was curious to see what kinds of things he would post. It turns out it's mostly pictures of his public appearances and interactions with pilgrims who come to the Vatican with a few inspirational words throughout. I have noticed that the Pope is not big on selfies, <laughs> and he's never taken a snapshot of his lunch. <laughs> but anyway, I'll confess to you that most of the time, posts from the Pope are just one thing in my feed, and I barely pause, I just kind of scroll past them. But there was one picture some time ago that I could not just scroll past. It was a photograph of Pope Francis gently laying his hands on another man's bowed head in order to pray. And this man was weeping 
He was sobbing. He was really in anguish. It was an intense image. But you know, what really caught my attention was the caption, which was an exclamation. To ignore someone's suffering means ignoring God. To ignore someone's suffering means ignoring God. That stuck with me. And over time, I came to realize that those words express the true stakes of our passage from Matthew. Every day, every day in our shared lives as human beings, we have this opportunity to draw nearer to God or to pull away. And it all depends on whether we choose to care for people around us or to ignore them. The bottom line is not to ignore people. Now, I imagine that some of you are thinking not ignoring people is a pretty low bar to set. Like, I can do better than that. And it's true. The work that serves Christ is actually not difficult or complex. I was hungry, Christ says, and you gave me food. That's all. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you just visited me. The actions of service are simple. They're simple. And if you're a parent or a caregiver, you might even be thinking, I feed hungry people every day. I care for sick people all the time. And it's true. Some of these things we do with great frequency for our friends and our family and for our siblings in Christ. And yet, and yet, at the very same time, we know ourselves, we know that we're well practiced at ignoring the suffering of others in ways both big and small. You know what I mean if you have ever avoided the gaze of a panhandler on an exit ramp. Or if you've ever thought to yourself, I don't really want to go to the hospital today. You know what I mean if you've held back from introducing yourself to the newcomer at the dinner party or in the church parlor for that matter. You know what I mean if you've never been inside a prison, as I imagine many of us have not, and you have no plans to change that. If you're anything like me, you've not exactly maximized your opportunities to serve in the ways Jesus describes. And often, you know, even our most generous actions are indirect. They're not up close and personal. We send blue bags brimming with food or orange buckets packed with hurricane cleanup supplies, shopping bags nearly splitting from the weight of clothes and coats and shoes but we hardly ever see the people who receive these things, which is not to say we ignore their suffering, far from it. But our service lacks the directness and simplicity of Christ's words, I was hungry and you gave me food and all the rest of it. And we have our reasons, you know? There's so many very good reasons not to serve others. There's the logic of professionalism. It goes something like this. I have my job, with which I am very busy, by the way, and someone else can take care of those in need. 
Shouldn't the medical doctor care for the sick? Aren't there chaplains in prisons? And then there's the shadowy, only somewhat conscious logic of privilege too. It's not that we intend to put space between ourselves and those who have less, but we can build our lives and build our communities in such a way that we hardly ever encounter the least of these. And then over time, that starts to seem normal, to seem natural. And that's not all. There's pride, too. Maybe I want to serve, but only if I can do it my way and make a really big impact. And you can add to all those reasons fear, whether it is fear of those who are different, fear of failing or making a fool of yourself, or the fear of finding out that you are just as helpless as the so-called least. It's reasons like these Reasons like these are hazardous because they shackle us in service to our idols. Relying on our reasons, we reject the responsibility of serving Christ in order to serve success, to serve comfort, to serve ourselves. That's what all these reasons are. That's what they do. And we suffer for them. We suffer for them. Because what keeps us from service to others keeps us from God. And that's the painful reality of sin. And there's nothing we can do about it. Though, of course, there is a cure. It is God's gracious act, after all, to reach out and to renew us. To replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, as the prophets foretold. But you know, after a major surgery, you are going to need some physical therapy. Our acts of service are something like that. They are small movements, awkward at times and vulnerable always, but through them we grow stronger in our faith. Little by little, we start becoming who God wants us to be. We start to heal but only insofar as we have surrendered ourselves to the process and to the humble position that is rightfully ours. Humility. Humility. It's the right place to receive God's grace, and it is the right place from which to serve. Do small things with great love. That was the motto of Mother Teresa. She conducted her life and her ministry to Calcutta's poorest inhabitants by those words, do small things with great love. And that was not her personal secret. This had been in God's word all along. To serve. To serve is simple, it's humble, and it is small. To feed to say hello and how are you, and to really mean it, to show up, to care. But that is how God's love flows into this world through those little things that we human beings do. Just think, when in your life have you felt most cared for? 
And when have you known deep in your bones that you were sharing love with another person? I bet it was nothing so grand. I recently heard the story of a man named Mike. Mike was a born storyteller, popular with his friends for spinning these hilarious yarns. Storytelling was who Mike was, and that did not change when he grew up and became a Marine and served multiple tours in Iraq. But you know, the content of Mike's stories, that did change because of the hardship and suffering he had experienced in the war. And so when he got home and friends would ask him what he'd been up to or what the war was like, he would find himself telling stories. Stories that were honestly terrifying. And Mike would see his friends' faces fall and he would feel the flush of shame and the freeze of isolation. He became afraid. He became afraid that if he continued to tell those stories, his friends would think he was damaged. His friends would think he was obsessed with violence. His friends would just think he wasn't normal. So Mike decided to keep quiet about the war. And when it did come up, he would focus on funny stories about quirky particularities of military life. He told stories, for example, of some competitive Marines who would catch and train desert scorpions to race one another. But he repressed his darker memories. He never mentioned how, when a scorpion stung an Iraqi child in the night, her family would have to make a life or death decision not heard of prior to the war. Saving a child from a scorpion bite meant driving to the hospital. Driving to the hospital meant breaking the curfew that had been imposed by the Americans. Breaking curfew, a family risked being mistaken for suicide bombers and shot at by American troops. Mike had watched families try to navigate scary, impossible situations like that with nothing he could do to help, and he could not forget. But Mike learned to keep that story to himself. And friends, he was suffering for it, feeling more and more alone and weary of lying and angry with his friends for not understanding until one of them did something very small and very holy. One day when Mike had not told a real story in years, his friend asked him a question about the war and Mike was too tired to keep up the veneer any longer and he answered with the whole truth. And his friend, Mike remembers, his friend didn't say anything about it, but just looked me in the eye until I was done. Mike's friend could have served his own comfort and changed the subject. He could have served his pride and tried to one-up Mike with a story of his own. But instead, he listened and for Mike, who had endured so much, that simple act of love became a catalyst for healing. In a world that is still torn by war and hatred, by injustice and want and all of these impossible situations, friends, we do have our marching orders. We've been called simply to serve. 
to say no to idols of self and success, and to say yes to Christ by doing the simple things that he asks of us and trusting that through them, through those little things, God is doing something wonderful and new. Now for us, it may be messy. It may be awkward. It will be humbling if we're doing it right. And it may not seem like very much at all. But we can trust that our God is gathering up the tiny broken pieces of our human life for the building of Christ's kingdom. Friends, now is the time to play our small part in the story of eternal love. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.